0: Set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle. Take off that raincoat and grab a cold beer. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. You're listening to Bruise and Tiny Teeth, the Unfiltered Pediatric Dentistry Podcast. How uh, are you in uh, are we recording this are you out, out in Florida right now or are you up in up in Minnesota where are you at right now
1: I'm in Florida right now so Florida How's the Florida life treating you It is very good very good You want me to show you a pic of the ocean You to show me, please
0: show me a picture of the ocean It's like 35 degrees here so I would love to see some warm beachy weather
1: Let's see Oh, get out of here. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Oh so yeah, it's God. very
1: nice. It's in the 80s, you know, so it's, it's really good. Mm-hmm.
0: Are you, Um, I can't remember, did you keep your place or your urban cabin or did you
1: keep any, any of your uh, living arrangements up in Minnesota so you go back and forth at all? I did. I kept the apartments over there, but I'm renting them both. It's been very hard to rent mm-hmm. the the one that we were using for urban cabin, but we bought a, a townhome in the Minnetonka area.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: now we're just doing some remodeling into it. So so I hopefully when we come in the summer, because I'm still teaching at the U, mm-hmm. uh, we can start using it. So Cool, cool. I like, you know, that's something that's, you know. I think
0: we're just going to do a rolling intro here because we could just, yeah. we're just going to keep talking and talking and talking and, and I like catching up with things. But uh, that's one thing I've always liked about you is you, you've always had that very much like a heart of a teacher mentality. And I, I knew when I, when you said that you were retiring, I was like, there's no way he's going to drop all things dentistry from what you've done forever. But it sounds like, so you go back and you teach at Minnesota just during the summer months when you're back home. Is that how Correct. you're doing it?
1: Yeah, Correct. I usually teach from May through maybe mid-September. October, mm-hmm. and are, then you, I'll are you doing
0: out. like the PEDS clinic? Are you just like, what are you doing? Are you doing rounds? Are you teaching the PEDS residents? Are you working with the dental students? What are you kind of stuff are you doing?
1: I'll teach at the undergraduate. And I also go to the residency and teach with the residents over there. So I'm working only three days a week over there. You should gotcha. go from Wednesday through Friday. So, okay. And, and I and, still do my, my uh, mission trips to Cabo San Lucas. Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm going to follow up and ask was if you had any, like if you had just recently done any mission trips or if you've got any on the books or what the status of those were.
1: Yeah, the next one will be in February because um I don't know if I mentioned to you his name. His name is Greg Saltis. He's in the circus, he's a great pediatric dentist, and he's uh he's a speaker, and he was the founder of that mission. It's P S A. L-T-I-S, Saltis, Greg Saltis, out of uh, Washington. We have become good friends, and he's doing his last hurrah And he said, I want you to come, you know, for my last hurrah. So I said, sure, that'll be great. So so I'll be heading over there with Jeannie, and, and we'll do a mission trip in February
0: might be a, I'm gonna write that name down. He might be a good podcast guest because i I haven't had a lot of conversations about you know, dental mission trip work and stuff. and so that's that'd be an interesting conversation to have with a guy He's like him. He's
1: Excellent. He is excellent guy, so yeah, well, you don't it's also I mean, the
0: perk of. You being able to speak spanish i mean that's such a valuable skill to not just be a pediatric dentist but the couple mission trips or the mission trip that i've been on was in el salvador and it just makes everything so much harder when you know you try to use your behavior management skills but when the kids can't speak english you just rely on body language and counting to 10 in spanish like your tools and your toolbox are so much more limited when you can't speak their language
1: correct correct mm-hmm. i agree on that so yeah it makes it very easy for us to speak over there to the children
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: it, it makes a big difference though so yeah well dennis how about so let's
0: let's go rewind and kind of start start back at the beginning cuz i um you've got a, a cool story and my idea for this episode was kind of ref- the theme of it i wanted it to be like reflections you know, of a of a pediatric dentist, you know, in, in retirement reflections about your career and all the things you've done because you've been at this game a long time and and it's interesting to see how your career's changed and I got to be a part of that for a while. So can you take us way back to um to I guess where you did residency and what stretch of time that was and then how you wound up in, in the St. Paul area where we, you know, where you practice at. Just go back in time and kind of walk me through your professional journey with like your initial partnerships and, and how you established the practice that you did.
1: So, um, I was accepted in a kind of a hybrid program at Loyola University in Chicago in 1987. And the program was one year you go to Loyola and do uh, one year of the residency. It was hospital-based and clinical-based. And then the second year, you go to Flint, Michigan, which nowadays is all in Michigan, you know, and you do hospital and clinical. So I did those 2 years over there after graduating from dental school in Puerto Rico and uh after I finished there I took a journey with the United States Air Force and went to Japan and served 4 years in Japan as a pediatric dentist and I also the special consultant for the Pacific Air Command and then I transferred in there to go to Germany and in Germany I became also the the special consultant for the European Air Command, and then in, in, in Japan, I met a fellow that was from Minnesota, and he said, you know, I really don't like a lot of pediatric dentists. He was an orthodontist, but I do like you, so I would love you to come and practice in my town, which he happens to be St. Cloud, Minnesota. And I said, why not? You know, My wife being from Wisconsin, I said, I can do that. We're in, we're in northern Japan, how far can I go? So he said, sure, we'll do that but what happened was that the timing wasn't right he was going for a career that means 20 years i was going for just you know seven years and i was going to get out if not Mm -hmm. i was going to go ahead and do career in the air Mm -hmm. force so i got out and got into a pediatric dental practice in st cloud minnesota so that's how i started and then after seven years practicing there i went on my own Mm -hmm. uh can you tell me more
0: about I you know I don't think you and I have talked a lot about your your time in the Air Force in Japan. I knew you did that but what what kind of experiences did did you get? Do you feel like it made you a better pediatric dentist? Were you seeing a lot of unique cases and different things or what was your cuz I haven't talked to a lot of military pediatric dentists on this podcast before but what was your experience like?
1: Well, I I think my my biggest experience and the thing that I gained the most was the fact that when I was in northern Japan, I used to order supplies like in January and they used to get to my hands in August because we were at the end of the pipe, you know, and I and you know, making, you know, things out of nothing, you know making sense, meets, you know, and that's what made me a better pediatric dentist. I felt that when I finished in Japan, I said, wow, I spent four years here. And of course, I was really sharing a lot of experiences with the orthodontist, with growth and development and things like that. I said, you know, now I feel like I can do this. And I think that was a great experience. Once I moved to Germany, which was in Bitburg, Germany, north western of the of the German uh, region, close to Luxembourg, then I felt, you know, I can do that and it was pretty easy for me. So mm-hmm. I think out of the military, I learned that because you pretty much shared a lot of experiences with the uh, General Dennis and also other specialists. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty rewarding for me, so. I gotcha. Uh,
0: so you, you know, you fly back, you settle in a, a, a city, in a town, in an area that you really don't know anybody. Into these cold winters, into Hockeyville, and all the things that I got to experience up there, Um, you know, I thought it might be interesting to have you reflect on your first relationship. You know, without you don't have to get go too crazy on specifics, but um, most of the listeners here kind of realize, you know, I think everybody goes through that phase of, maybe not everybody, but it's more common than you think to. Have relationships that maybe don't work out as well as you had hoped or maybe um, partnerships where you guys kind of went different directions and that's just kind of part of like figuring out your professional career. But, um, you know, I know you practiced uh, with a partnership and you guys just went separate ways and you split off into your own practice. But um, are there any details you can provide there or or maybe even – using your story to kind of give uh, a lessons learned from that to other young pediatric dentists who wanna maybe look into partnerships or maybe are struggling with their current partnership. Just tell listeners about that side of the story.
1: So, you know, when you can't go into a partnership, it depends who you partner with. That's the, the biggest thing. I uh, came into a town which I didn't know anybody and there were some uh, signs of people that say you know are you joining this person I can't believe you're joining this person but on the other end you know other people were uh saying oh that's great and um sometimes a person can be in disguise too you know they can confuse you and you know so anyhow I joined the practice everything was in on paper you know I was very happy I learned a lot because I had to tell you that I learned a lot more on the business side of the practice, you know, than in the clinical side. And I think it got to the point that I, I uh, look at you and it reminds me a lot of me when I first started, you know, because you were enthusiastic. You really wanted to do a lot of work. You want to get experience. You wanted to be uh, uh, coached. You know, and uh, I was just like that. But after a while, you know, the other end noticed that, you know, this guy got it together and he's becoming a little bit more popular than I'm me. And this is my sandbox. How can that be? And that sometimes happens when you said, OK, I'm going to take off for six weeks and you stay. Well, people are going to start getting to know you and so forth and the fact that i uh, speak the language speak Eng- uh, english and spanish you know i start getting more and more and more patience and it was a kind of a sore spot for the other end so so that's when the friction's starting to happen and i'm glad that i have uh, a document that really you know i st- stuck with it and it worked out really good at the end for me was a traumatic uh, experience for me because it's very traumatic. It was very hard on myself physically, mentally, emotionally, hard of my in my family too, because I had two little ones, you know, but ultimately I took the plunge and decided to go on my own. Mm-hmm. So with the uh,
0: with the lesson from that, it sounds like maybe just be, make sure you have your partnership agreements and your documents and contracts really dialed in before you right. get going
1: don't yep. do a handshake absolutely even my son right now that is in practice i said you got to go ahead and do an agreement and if you have an agreement you might want to have somebody look into it and revise that agreement you know sometimes you think oh i don't want to spend the money you know that's money worth spent you know if you have somebody like a consultant doing a review and checking things for you it'll be is is better to go into a partnership that way than going on your own, I say okay. I reviewed the documents and and I'm good to go. So, mm-hmm. so I think that's that's definitely paramount and important. And now on the flip side, on the flip side, I had the opportunity to be the senior and bringing, mm-hmm. you know, in a junior, mm-hmm. and I I'm happy that I I was open books with with my junior and I treated like i was not treated you know i have always treated him with respect and our our relationship is is a great relationship you know Mm -hmm. so
0: yeah let's let's talk about the foundation when you when you built that so you go you uh branch off and you go start your own practice um and for for people that don't know saint cloud is like central minnesota it's um and you can speak to this too dennis but got I'm listeners don't know this we're just talking on and on you were the um you were a partner and owner in the practice that i associated with and worked for i had your partner Mitch kramer he was on the podcast a couple years ago um, he and i still stay in contact Mitch still runs the practice um, very busy for uh office p- uh, location but um, so you and I know each other very well and work together for a long time so I was just kind of explaining to the listeners I guess what the Demographics looked like, but um, yeah, Saint Cloud is it's hockey town. It's central Minnesota. There's a lot of a lot of kids, but it's also more of a rural vibe compared to the Twin Cities, which is in you know hour hour and a half away. Um, but. Did you find when, because it seemed like when you got going, you got busy in a hurry. I mean, you were doing a lot of dentistry year one. Um, was that because of just the demographics of the area? Or did you kind of just create that buzz from being able to speak Spanish, good patient rapport and communications where you were able to hit the ground really? one? Well? And what How were you able to grow so quickly? Um, just knowing that I know you had so much growth that first year. How did you make that happen?
1: Well, remember on the document, there were some statues that, you know, for instance, I was supposed to leave St. Cloud, the St. Cloud area. And I have a very wise uh, uh, lawyer, and he said, fine, he'll leave St. Cloud. Well, I moved to Sartell. Well, what is the distance between St. Cloud and Sartell? It's nothing, you know? Mm -hmm. So people knew right off the bat where I was moving. So I already had patients that transfer to my practice when I make the move, okay? And then in terms of the other satellites, I inherited the, the Monicello satellite, you know, so I was already, I had goodwill in that area. And then the one that was very small was Princeton, and I developed that. But of course, I had my friend that was practicing orthodont, uh, orthodontics in there, so he referred a lot of patients to me, plus the oral surgeons. And then eventually he convinced me to go to SAC Center, which was even more, more rural it was more northwest of of st cloud and it it took off quickly because a lot of people were driving from that area to the st cloud area to see the pediatric dentist and that area is very populated with hispanics because there's a lot of hispanics working on the on the on the farms and so forth so it it just took off so mm-hmm. it actually got out of hands you know after a while I said to myself, this is nuts, you know, I'm by myself and I have four offices going. So, well, how long did you, how long did you do that for before you found
0: Mitch and brought Dr. Mitch Kramer on? Were you by yourself running that whole monster of a practice for
1: three, five, 10 years before you said, I need help here? I think I started in 2007 with four prac. no, I with three practices in 2005 and then 2012 Suck center was born. I had an associate, a lady for one year and she decided to leave. And then Mitch came the following year in 2014. So okay. probably a good nine years, you know, eight, nine years Man. On, that, on that train. Well,
0: and you and Mitch's relationship worked out really well. Um, and just like we talked about, it's, it's evident that whenever you're going to partner, you know, create a partnership, the, the two sides both have to really know each other well and get along just like a marriage of anything else. And you guys were always a really good fit. So when, where did you find Mitch at? And at, at that time, did you make it clear from the get go? Like, Hey, I need somebody to come. Like I need help. And I want somebody who's like going to be here and help partner and like help me run this big thing. Or did he just kind of stumble into your lap and it worked out perfect?
1: Well, I had a a colleague and friend that was uh, my boss in the Air Force, and he happened to be a teacher at Mitch's program when he was training. And I said, you know, can you see if you can find a candidate that is willing to come to Central Minnesota and practice? And he said, well, I got somebody here. Mitch came with his wife. And there's an interesting thing, you know, we We brought him. He looked at the practice, and he looked at two facilities. And then I went through this with you. You know, I said, "Mitch, I'm going to give you some numbers, so you can see." Because I have always tally so, and I recommend that so to keep your your uh, pulse in on the practice, tally your production, collection, and so forth. So I said, "This is what the practice have done since I opened the practice. So why you don't take it?" uh to the hotel, you can read about it. Tomorrow we'll have coffee and we'll talk. So the next day he came and had coffee and said, um, so what do you think? I said, we're coming here. I said, really? I said, yeah, we there's no, nothing else to talk about it. We are definitely coming here. He says, well that's great. So we shook hands and started rolling on the on the paperwork, you know. And interesting enough, I had a a, a small conversation with Lindsay this week and she said, we're so happy to be in this area. You know, I said, are things going well? I said, we are just busy. So, so then, uh, and you guys had a pretty clear
0: track to partnership in that initial contract, you said after, after so many years, we'll, we'll discuss it, it's on the table. That was all worked out from the get-go.
1: What the offer was that he was going to be an associate for one year. And then after one year, he had the option to become a partner the issue was that he started in july august you know so in terms of bookkeeping and things like that he would have been avail- uh uh eligible for partnership the following summer but then the accountants and the lawyer said you know why we don't move it six more months so we can start it in a calendar year so he ended up being an associate for a year and a half so. Gotcha. cool and he did very well you know so
0: yeah, I mean, when I saw his schedule and just as and, and it seemed like it was prime for growth, where just knowing how Mitch hit the ground running and then all of a sudden, you know, clearly your practice was ready to be a two doctor pediatric dentist or Pete's pedi- practice for a long time because you guys both had a um, a really busy schedule. And so, just to I guess update listeners where we're at now, you guys practice for how many years together, and then I worked there, and you just retired. A year, to, two, two, three years ago? Time is just flying right. by here. year,
1: year ago. Year June ago. 2022, I just retired. So a little bit okay. over a year ago. Can you t- tell me more about um, something I'm not really
0: familiar with is like how these partnerships are structured where like you guys partner up and then when you're ready to leave, there's obviously a, like a, you know, there's, there's equity that's purchased when it becomes a 50-50 partnership. So you got to get evaluation on the practice, and then you you work with consultants to figure that out, and then a second round of buyouts when you know Mitch buys out the rest of the practice. Um, how do you how how did that process go? Because I know. I I was an example, I came and worked for you guys for a year and COVID hit and we wanted to be closer to family, but it's hard to attract associates to those small rural areas. You know, that's, that's a much harder thing to do. So, um, you know, obviously Mitch is buying into a really big, busy practice. Uh, do you have any wisdom you could kind of share on, on, on the process or what it looks like when you're, when you have an associate who wants to buy and partner in, and then when you are ready to step away from the practice, um, any, 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 tips on like valuations or how to put a team
1: together to make that process go smoothly? Before we get into that, I want to mention to you that there's a lot of deals out there for associates that they are brought the into the practice, but then they start deducting labs, x-rays, and so forth. And I don't think that's a good sign. For instance, in our situation, and you know, you're aware of this, you know, when you come in, our deal was you get 35% of your net collection. We didn't care about the lab expenses or the X-rays or and so forth. You know, so that sends you a signal that you have the goodwill. You know, to really treat the the person right. So there's a different ways to skin a cat. When I bought into into the other practice, okay, they gave us a number which was a number that the practice was appraised before I start as an associate. Because if you start as an associate, you're going to be contributing to that number. And then after that year that I was an associate, I start buying the stock, okay, which was 10% every year. I was allowed to buy up to 50% of the stock.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you go and figure 20% of the collections okay are going to be a tribute to the stock and 80 is going to be based on your production collect, uh, collection you mm-hmm. following me okay that was the deal that i had so when i split it they had to buy me my 50% okay mm-hmm. and uh So so that was a scenario there. When Mitch came into my practice, my consultant did it differently. He said when he comes in, he's going to buy 49% right off the bat. So Mitch went ahead and gave a third of the 49% value of the stock in a check. And then he bought the rest, okay, what we call... Uh, a salary shift, meaning that before every two weeks, before when your check comes in, before you get your net, it, there's a shift of the salary to pay, okay, for that balance that you owe of your stock, okay. Okay. The beauty of that is that from the get-go, he started to collect 49% of the of the production that he got. You see what I'm saying? Completely. Mm. So so he just started collecting 49%, even though he was not in reality owner 49% because he still had a balance. So that's the first half. The second half was the 51%, which is what he's really doing right now. So he came again and he wrote a check to me. And I took that check, but that check comes in as a goodwill. So it's not taxed as ordinary income. It's just taxed as a goodwill. So it's it's taxed less than it was before because you take the hit on the first end, pretty much. But on the other end, you're going to get your tax benefits. So right now, he's paying over a certain amount of years okay, with an interest based on the Prime okay, mm-hmm. and then he pays that. And when my uh, accountant put that on the books, it comes as a goodwill and it doesn't come as an ordinary income. I see, So it's an way to structure that, yeah. That was a really
0: good answer to that question, Dennis. So, uh even though that makes sense, it also seems like it, there's a lot of uh, devil in the details and and little nuances. Who did, did you just, did you guys both have independent CPAs that sat down and you guys all brainstormed or how did you, how did you get a team together to structure this correctly?
1: Well, we, I had a consultant in, in the practice. I think you met uh, the, the consultant that we had and he came with a number because when Mitch came as an associate, I said, this is the production that I have been doing, but this is what the value of the practice is. So, mm-hmm. after the first year, you know, he knew what the number was for him to start to buy in because I cannot add on what he produced into that value. So, we had the consultant, and then I had a corporate lawyer, okay, that drew all the documents. And then we followed those documents. And then for the second half, the 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 lawyer is still the corporate lawyer for the practice, but you know Mitch felt that he wanted to go ahead and have somebody else look at it the yep. the documents, and he did that and at his own expense, but he followed the same the same uh, logic and everything. So when we signed, we said, okay, this is how you're going to buy me the first half, and this is how I'm going to exit. And everything was signed in there and sealed. Okay. So,
0: so it, it, the the exit point was also worked into the first side of it, the first part of the contract. So you okay. knew five years later when you guys have doubled your production and collection, it was all still spelled out. Like he was going to buy out your fifty or you know fifty one percent equity, but but structured over so many years for the tax benefits. Correct. That was all spelled
1: now, out. I had to make the the point that once I announced that I was going to retire, and it, it had to be. You know 18 months ahead of my retirement the practice got valuated too at Mm -hmm. the end of my tenure there because we got a new number you know the practice definitely went up in value Mm -hmm. so so and then they, they take into consideration leasehold improvements and equipment and supplies and things like that but that usually is the lowest number it's more the goodwill than anything yeah,
0: yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, it also kind of keeps the bank out of things too, because you know it simplifies that process. But um, I like the te- the way you guys structure that for the the, the tax purposes, because I'm sure that could be a pretty massive tax bill. You know, if if you just took one big lump check, right? You know, that very first year, and, and yeah, you're going to get hammered on that on that side.
1: Absolutely, and you know, for those that are listening over there, there's a good thing to have or being your owner in in the uh, on your space. On your building, you know, so the building is not in question right now. Okay, he has the first refusal to purchase the building, mm-hmm. but I like him to finish first, buying me out and then getting getting on the second part because it would be realistic. a yeah. it would be a big tax hit, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um,
0: Do you when you guys valued? that buyout did you uh without obviously getting like detailed on the numbers you know one one concern that I know a lot of people have is if you grow a practice to be so big you know Mitch was buying a practice that was essentially a four four office location with two full-time doctors and he's buying in a you know he's gonna have a lot of equity in a very big busy practice but he's gonna have more patients than he can physically see while he's still trying to find associates to put in um I guess my two-part question is you know did you guys evaluate this? And you may not know the answer to this question, Dennis, but you evaluated on like an EBITDA standpoint, kind of like, you know, an EBITDA multiple, like more of the corporate method, or did you guys, did the the um, analysts, I guess, or your consultants settle on like a percentage of, like to come up with that final number? You know, did, did it end up landing at like, you know, the t- practice is valued at 90% of collection or 80% of like a one-year annual collection? Did, did that type of
1: number ever, pop up there at all? You know, sometimes it it could change a lot, but sometimes you look at the literature in terms of how to buy and sell a practice and they usually hover between 60 to 70, even sometimes even 75% Mm -hmm. of your net collection. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, I don't know which form, the formula that my consultant used, but Mitch also reached out to another company and they gave him a different number. You know, mm-hmm. and and there's so many ways that you can value the practice, you know. So, but I think we came to the fair price because I wanted to be fair with him, and I think we both felt very comfortable with the price of the purchase. Cool. So, uh, and this kind of goes uh, something I wanted to talk about with you as well
0: was, uh, one thing that I've, I've always thought you do a nice job of is, and we've talked about this before. Um, you know, you're a big, um, big advocate of like having really good, like paying for good help. And you've always been really into like good consultants. You had a good CPA that came to the office, like to the office quarterly. And you guys met with a lot. Um, but that's one thing I think, I feel like without putting words in your mouth, I always thought maybe was a good reason you were so successful in your career was you were you know, not afraid to pay for good help. Like Alayda, your office managers worked for you for, I don't know, you know, 18 years or whatever it was, but you always paid for good help. And so um, that's something I've kind of a, a nugget of wisdom from you that I've kind of adopted into my own practice was there's, there's areas you can cut some corners at, but you know, a good, a good advisor paying your staff. Well, good office manager seems to be a really good place to spend money. So I kind of picked that one up from you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's important that you do that, you know, that you pick up the uh, good advice, you know, and quite frankly, the the consultant that we had, it was not too expensive, to be honest with you, when you look at the big pictures, other companies in the state and out of state, you know, so you don't have to have somebody that charge you a lot of money, especially if you are current in the literature, because I always look and read the magazines, business magazines and business literature that I don't want to that is geared to to Dennis, you know, which ones are, I don't want to set the name right now, but you know that it comes every month and I learn a lot. From I had the guys. McGill advisory
0: team on the podcast, so we can give them a shout out. It's cool.
1: Okay, so we can give it the shot. So, so they're yeah. great advice. You know, I have, I've read them all my career for 25 years. So, and I follow everything to a T and that really worked out really good. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. I think that, that was a, a fundamental for me to be successful in the business area
0: hmm D- Dennis, what are your thoughts now that you've been, uh, you know, you're a pediatric dentist for so many years, uh, you've been around to see kind of this influx of more corporatization and like structured DSOs come in and buy out, buy out offices. You, Your situation, I would say, seems more like a, a case that you would see an individual consider selling to a DSO just because of the, you know, you're going to get you know, probably more money on the front end, you're going to get the big number flash in front of you. Um, but you still kind of went the, the, the way of, I want to keep this locally owned and found, found the next guy to pass the torch to. So did you ever have DSO conversations slash what are your thoughts about our profession and the direction it's heading with, you know, more and more practices being sold out to, um, to DSOs in a corporate dentistry? Is that something you looked into? Is it a direction you like seeing? What are kind of your thoughts looking you know, now that you are where you're at now, what what are your thoughts on all that?
1: So I was uh, at some point, like I said, when the practice grew so much, I was really scared because I said, if I drop dead, what's going to happen? You know, the other practices are going to gobble all the patients and my family won't get anything for it. You know, that was one of the things that I was very scared. Um. If you go back, probably, uh, I retired in 2022. If you go to 2018, 19, I was getting letters from DSOs. I never entertained that because, number one, it was kind of obscure to a lot of people. And number two, it was kind of like, you know, kind of like a taboo to do that. Now, things evolve and a lot of people were selling, okay? I have colleagues as of last year, that has sold to DSL, no pediatric dentist, and they're not getting good deals. And the reason why is because the stock market is not doing well. Okay. So if the stock market is not doing well, corporate doesn't do well because there's not a lot of cash flow. And that's why a lot of the deals are very sour right now that people got into it. So in retrospect, it's everything about where you are, number one. You know, if you're in California, just to give an example, and you have four successful practices uh, ripping through the seams, that's a different situation. But if you're in central Minnesota, you know, it is totally different situation, and it's everything about timing. Who knows if in the future the stock market will be Ripping through the seams, and we we'll go back to the DSO situation where you're getting good returns from your practice and so forth. But nowadays, I wouldn't recommend to do that unless you're very, very desperate to do that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, it, it sounds. It seems like the high interest rates. You know, you mentioned the stock
0: market, but I, I, I've also listened to some podcasts, which makes sense. You know, it's money, the cost of of capital to buy out practices. You know, instead of cheap money at two and three percent. You know they they've got to borrow that money from other places and at eight nine percent I think it it makes it harder to to borrow you know this whole thing's a big game of leverage Um, so you know I've I just I like getting different perspectives from people that have gone the corporate route and people that have not gone the corporate route because sometimes it seems to work really really well um, if it's done correctly and you have people that are happy in that relationship and then sometimes you have guys that sell out and they're like man they they came and overhauled everything and didn't like the way they do things and then you know, maybe they didn't get the, the buyout on the, you know, you get the retained equity they thought was going to be worth as much and it, you know, ended up not getting bought out. So it seems like there's definitely a catch and, and a trade-off there where, you know, you have to do the math and say, is it just, is it, do I, will I, well, can I get the same amount of money if I just work at my full salary for another, the same amount of time, the five years they would have contracted me for. And then after five years, I just sell my practice for a little bit less to you know, the, a, a young pediatric resident of some kind, and which is basically the route that you went. Um, but definitely something you got to do your homework and do the math on to, to figure out what makes the most sense.
1: The other thing that is pretty tricky is the fact that I'm just going to put you in the spot right now. If I'm a DSO and you decide to sign with me, okay, and I said I'm going to bring another pediatric dentist, but I like to see the practice growing, Knowing you how much you can produce, I know the deal is going to be good for you because I know you're going to ramp it up and having another help even better. You see what I'm saying? But Mm -hmm. there are people that, when they get help, they pretty much go kind of flat, you know, and they don't look at the fact that the DSO wants you to ramp up the numbers, okay, for them. And if they can do that by themselves sometimes, you know, they won't be able to, to impress the DSO and the DSO is going to say, you know, you're not producing what I was expecting you to produce. So mm. it's, it's an old goal. So, yeah, well,
0: that's, it's a good point too. Cause most of the guys that want to guys and gals that want to sell out or, you know, sell equity in their practice are not looking, you know, like, like for example, yourself, when I came on, you, you started scaling back from five days a week to, four or five days a week, plus you were taking off that, that one week a month, which I thought was a really cool idea. But, you know, you're at that point in your career where, you know, like financially I'm doing well, like I'm just, I'm trying to equal out my work-life balance and have more time to take vacation time for myself, time for mission trips. Like you're not looking to, you know, take this practice to the stratosphere and grow it the way a DSO wants you to grow it. Like you're looking to kind of start stepping away a little bit, not the opposite to your point. Right. Right. So, um, Uh, let's see. So a couple other things I talked about, um, I was going to compliment you. Another thing I thought you did a nice job on that I wanted to give you a shout out was I I thought for being a pediatric dentist that had been around and trained in the very strict, like rubber dam amalgam, you know, like very traditional pediatric dentistry. You always did a really good job uh, at the practice, staying really on top of kind of the more modern technology, cutting edge stuff. Like as soon as new smile came out with permanent zirconias, boom, we're on it. Let's try them out. You've got, you know, the, uh, you've just got all the materials. Like it just, I always appreciated about you, how you are not afraid to at least invest and try something, whether you liked it or not. But like, let's buy a laser, let's try it. Let's, you know, and you you just, that was something that I thought you did a really good job of that a lot of dentists don't do a great job of. Um, But I was just going to give you a shout out and see if you had any reflections on how, on the importance of, staying up to date with like, you know, your CE, the way dentistry is kind of evolving the new techniques and materials. Um, cause you always did a really nice job with that sort of thing.
1: Well, thank you. And I'm sure you're doing the same thing that you're doing, getting the new technology and so forth. You know, I'm actually jealous right now because if I can set the, the clock back, I would love to be practicing right now. Cause when you see that you have scanners, when you have, you know, uh, different type of zirconias, you have, you know, new things that are coming into the market. You know, um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but right now, uh, have you ever tried the pulpotomies with the Afrin? With, with uh, that,
0: no, I, uh, I read a study or somebody else was telling me about this, but no, with, um, I can't remember what the active ingredient Afrin is, but I know it's like a vasoconstrictor, but yeah, that's a new thing
1: people are talking about. Yeah, so I started in the University of Minnesota with my uh, good friend, uh, Dr. Robert Jones. He's still doing the research, and he mentioned it to me, and I was kind of baffled. And I haven't been able to do one, and I'm just, like, desperate. And people are telling me, oh, yeah, you do it, and it's just stuffed right away. But, you know, I think you have to get out of the box. I think you have to continue with, you know, reading and getting the leading edge of technology and materials if you really want to provide good care because if not you're going to be one of the regular guys you want to be out of there doing the right thing and um i'm i'm very happy that i did that you know when the isovac came i bought one when lasers came out i bought lasers and things like that so yeah I would even have a CT scan in my office if I would be practicing right now. I will have a CT scan, and I actually would love to have a, uh, a machine, to a mill to make my uh, uh, zirconia crowns on those permanent molars that are, you know, hypoplastic, that mm-hmm. you can scan it and have them done right away. That would be great to do, yeah. so.
0: That's funny oh, yeah. you mentioned it. I just bought a scanner uh last Tuesday. And so the computer and the little roly card are sitting in my office. I'm waiting for the the wand to come in. But I'm gonna at least start by scanning uh I, I'm just I'm tired of taking, you know, PBS and alginate impressions for my my bilaterals. So I'm gonna start scanning and 3D printing them and have the labs. They the labs can fit these custom, they can make custom bands. So I don't even have to fit the bands. You scan it digitally, send it to the lab, and they, you know, say say 19 is three quarters of the way erupted through the gums, they can, I don't know if they weld or how they do it, but they can make a band that's custom fit to that molar that is contoured to that halfway erupted piece of tissue. And so I'm excited to try it and see, you know, I'm sure there's gonna be a learning curve, but to your point, like, I think there's, you know, the scanners are gonna be the way that we're all doing a lot of spacers and a lot of work, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now.
1: Right, and also if you started getting to the Invisalign, you know, for children, which is out there too, you can mm-hmm. do all that scanning and it's just, you know, it's awesome. It's really, mm-hmm. really, so. Uh, Dennis, says as we
0: start kind of winding things down, cause I've got an afternoon that's slam, slam packed here, but my, my, uh, couple of things I wanted to wrap up with, you know, as, um, you know, now that you are, are retired, you're doing some teaching in the summers, your mission trip. So you're still keeping your finger in dentistry, but enjoying the time off uh, down in Florida. What, um, what, What pieces of advice? I I guess I got a couple questions here. What mistakes have you made in your career, or or any big mistakes that you would create as now a piece of advice for, say, a young guy like me or a young pediatric dentist coming out of residency? You know, any, any big things that you would recommend that we haven't talked about that, you know, say, this is something I did, I wish I would have done a little differently. And then what are your, question two was, what are your thoughts on, you know, the future of our profession? Like, do you, do you like the direction it's going? Um, You know, it sounds like you're excited with the way technology is looking here, but um, I think the future looks bright for pediatric dentistry now that you reflect on your 25, 30 year career. Um, You know, what pieces of advice, what mistakes you've made and what do you, what do you think about, you know, the direction that we're going as a profession here?
1: Well, number one mistake I made was I should not be working more than four or three days a week. Hmm. That was the one biggest mistake. Number two, I would probably uh, concentrate in two locations at the most, not four. Sometimes you start listening to people, oh, why you don't come here? Why you don't come there? And you have the good heart to do that, but you can get burned out and you don't want to do that. Because in retrospect, right now, you know, I think I pushed the pedal to the metal too much, you know, mm-hmm. and now, you know, you know, wow, this is, was a little bit much that I needed to do. So, so try not to burn out. And I know that you like to go out and hunt, and, but spend uh, time with your family. That's definitely very, very important. Um, I think the future of pediatric dentistry is pretty good. You know, I think the, the the scope of treatment has gotten a little bit more broad, you know, that when we started, it was, you know, amalgams, filling space maintainer, out, that was it. But now it's more more uh, um, spread around where we're doing more ortho, we're doing more surgery. Some people do more surgery and so forth. I think the, the only thing that is a little bit tricky is, In a sense, is the social media can help you, but at the same time can hurt at the same time. So you got to be careful how you communicate with your patients, with the parents, you know, because things can get a little bit twisted and you just have to be careful with that. But overall, I think pediatric dentistry is going to be here for a long, long, long time. And I'm very happy. To be a pediatric dentist and i i see guys like you that went like me open their practices and uh and are going full full speed and i'm proud of you what you have accomplished i'm happy for you i'm happy for your family you have a beautiful family and i know you're going to do i had no doubt that you (laughs) you're going to do well the only thing i regret was that you weren't around with us but i would have loved to keep you with us okay those, uh, those
0: those Minnesota winners are, uh, are 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 wicked up there. I joke all the time, Dennis, you know, whenever we're down here in Missouri and, uh, you know, if we get like a half inch of snow, God, you'd think it was the apocalypse. You know, the practice closes that, you know, I can't get kids to come in. And I'm like, Jesus, when I worked up in Minnesota, it'd be like, you know, I remember driving my car, I'd be white knuckling it on my hour drive up to the practice. And there's people fishtailing around everybody's cars were kind of just, they just bang into things and people just, they just go about life, six inches of snow. Like it's. It's, uh, but it, I I learned so much from that, uh, you know, from the practice side of things to um your, you know, the staff at your office was also welcoming and um you know let me kind of uh, you know took me under Alita, Shan and all the girls took me under their wing. I just I learned more in the eight months pre COVID before COVID shut us all down um working at your guys's office than i did you know most of my residency training so it's it's i'm where i'm at because i had good mentors like yourself that kind of set me up for success so kudos to you as well thank
1: you thank you i I appreciate that and i'm glad that you're doing well and like i said you know i remember those days driving to socks center and you were saying oh i hit a snowstorm man i was very lucky that in 25 years i never had an accident on the road (laughs) that's amazing. Because I grew up in Puerto Rico and driving in the snow in the winters, you know. It's it's a
0: different animal. It's something you get used to. And Jen and I always had a joke that 90% of the cars you saw when we drove around in Minnesota had little dents everywhere. You know, it's just part of, part of life. You know, you get salt, salt, rust, and you know, the, the winters are hard on vehicles up there you're bumping into stuff. And so that's why everybody drives around. You get a, you get an old Ford F one fifty with four wheel drive and you just drive that thing around until the wheels fall off. That's yeah, the way you go.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: That's fine. That's fine. So, Dennis, uh, Uh, I appreciate your time. And, um, I'm, I'm jealous of you down in Florida as we're here in the cold weather. So next time, if you're, if you're driving up this way again, stop by the practice and give me a heads up and let's go out and get dinner or something and take the family out and everything.
1: I I like to meet your family. So we're thinking that we'll drive up probably in May around May time. So I'll give you the heads up to see if we can stop by and see the baby. We'd love to see Jenna too. So it's very flattering to be interviewed by you. I appreciate, uh, your time with us and also your compliments and I wish you well.
0: Thanks for listening to the bruise and tiny teeth podcast. Be sure to DM our host Casey Getz on social media with any listener questions, comments, or tough clinical situations. We'll see you next week for another unfiltered
1: episode.